the Bible Study Podcast, episode 305. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of 1 Timothy with chapter 2. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. This chapter, we'll talk about worship, and then we'll talk about some things that may make me regret choosing 1 Timothy, but first, worship. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So Paul first starts with that we should pray. And he emphasizes that by talking about different types of prayers, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. But all of those things are part of a conversation with God. Petitions are those things that we want from God, those things that you would petition a king, for instance. And so picture the throne room where people would come into the king with their petitions and the king would decide whether that was something he wanted to do or not. So that's the kind of picture here prayers, intercession. Intercession, think of some of the stories of Moses in the book of Exodus, Numbers, or Leviticus, where God is so frustrated with the people of Israel. And I think of the time when they have just sent spies out through the promised land. And this is in the book of Numbers for 40 days. And they come back and they say, the land is good. It's fruitful. But 10 of the spies say, we shouldn't go in because they're too powerful. And to Caleb and Joshua say, are you kidding? God is for us. Let's go in and take the land. The people rebel and God said, that's it. I'm going to get rid of these people and start again with you, Moses. And Moses stands between, he intercedes between God and the people, God, an angry God and the people and says, you don't want to do this. Just think when word gets back to Egypt about you and what you have done, that's not who you are basically. So intercession is to come before God with someone else in mind. And thanksgiving, and in thanksgiving, I think would be the obvious of that. And he says, and pray for all people, but particularly kings and those in authority, that we may live quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. So he's saying here that the purpose of authority, that authority is God-given, and of course that has been something the church has wrestled with over time, is What is the difference between the divine right of kings, where all authority is God-given and you can't change it, and what do you do when authority is in the wrong and such? So it's something that we have always struggled with as a church. But he's saying here that authority, that the reason we have people in authority is eventually so that we can have order and peace. And then if we have order and peace, then we can spend our time as Christians living quiet lives in godliness and holiness. And that that is a goal. That is something desirable to be godly, to be more like God, to becoming more like God, and to be holy, to be set apart for God's work. 
right now in the church in this country, in the U.S. where I live, that the church is spread across a political spectrum of people who want to see change and change in ways that may or may not be biblical, and those who don't like change and sometimes don't want change, even though the current situation should change from a biblical perspective. But as we look at authority here, let's put it in the context of Paul, who is asking us to pray for authority doesn't necessarily agree with the current authority he is under. Paul is writing this in chains. Paul has come into disagreement with Caesar, with the Roman authorities, because he has gotten in trouble because of his faith. So it'd be easy for Paul to say, let's all pray for authority that they get kicked out and replaced with somebody who is favorable to us. And he doesn't say that. And if certainly if anybody is going to, Paul has a right to, Paul is going to be executed by Nero. Our understanding is he's going to be beheaded because of his faith, because of his disagreements with authority. So when Paul tells us to pray for authority, it's something we have to take very seriously. The disagreements that you may have with the current president or that you may have had with the last president are nothing compared to the disagreements that Paul had with authority. For one thing, there was no even pretense that they served the same God. But for instance, in this country, both our current president and our last president were professed Christians. So we have something in common. Paul had nothing of that with himself and Caesar. In fact, Caesar said, Caesar is God. That's the biggest disagreement that they had, is Caesar said, you have to bow down and worship Caesar. And Paul said, no. And that's what's eventually going to lead to his death and the death of many Christians at that point. So when Paul says we have to pray for authority, you have to pray for people in authority. You don't have to agree with them, but you do have to pray for them. And you can certainly pray that God will change them. I had no problems with that. But it is to our benefit to remember that, one, prayer is an action. Prayer is a force that changes things because it brings things before the throne of a powerful God. And two, that we have a calling to prayer for all people, but especially for those in authority. And Paul says, this is good and pleases God because he wants all people to be saved. And that's something that we have to remember. And it's easy for us to get away from. Sometimes we want to divide people into the people that God wants to save and the people that God doesn't want to save. And that's what the Pharisees like to do, right? They like to draw this line and say, those people are out and those people are in. That's true that there are people who are out and there are people who are in. What Paul is saying, though, is God desires everybody to be in. God desires to bring everyone back to him. He is willing to let you go away. He is willing to let people not be in relationship with him. But that is his desire. That everyone be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He says, one God, one mediator, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. And you pay a ransom to get somebody out of captivity. We were in captivity to sin. We were in captivity to the world and its authority. We were in captivity to the devil. And he paid his price, his life, to rescue us from that captivity. Paul says, and that's why I am a herald, somebody who brings good news, and an apostle, somebody who is sent, basically, that to bring that news to people. And then he continues in verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearl or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. 
A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. I would have to say this qualifies as one of those passages in the Bible that I really wish wasn't there or I wish that I could edit. So let's just put it out there that Paul and I may have some disagreements in these statements. Or do we? Because let's put it into a little more context. First of all, let's start with the things that are not difficult. And he says, I want men to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So he's saying, you men, I want you to pray. We've already talked about everybody should be praying. And he says, when I look at you and I look at your worship, I see too much anger and disputing. I see too much fighting. I see too much of you getting in the way. And I don't think we have problems saying that Paul's right there, that we should not get in the way of the worship, that worship is about God and what God has done, and it's about the community, and that we can cause problems with anger and disputing. And I don't think we should have problems with the call to modesty. Now, modesty is a very culturally loaded term because modesty in the Pacific Islanders didn't even mean wearing tops. And modesty in Victorian England meant not letting your ankles show or even your table legs show. So modesty is a very relative term. But what he is saying is there's a couple things in his culture in terms of where you wear your hair down or you wear gold that indicated you were a loose woman, that you would be willing to give sex for money. Let's look a little at the context of Paul's society, because in his society, in the Roman society, it was quite common for a man to have his wife and his mistress. It was sort of expected that you would have at least two women in your life. This may be controversial in that society because he is trying to bring in a modesty here that is foreign to that society. Next chapter, when he tells the man that they should have one wife and be faithful to her, he is being very radical. And he is trying to limit what they're doing in a way that we think of normal, but they did not. And in fact, he is giving women more power, which is hard for us to see with some of the statements in that chapter, especially in the society to which he's talking about. We look at this and we compare it to our society and we say, wow, look at how Paul is trying to limit the power and limit the position of women. But I have to tell you that in his society, that's not true. For one thing, think of the movie Yentl. Have you ever seen the movie Yentl with Barbara Streisand? She wants to learn the Torah. She's a Jewish woman, and she can't because she's a woman. And it was thought that it would be a waste of time to teach women. So when Paul is saying a woman should learn in quietness and full submission— He is saying a woman is allowed to learn. That may be a radical statement. And he is giving them the same commands that a young man would be given as they enter in to be taught is that they should learn in quietness and full submission. So we have to put this into the context of where it is. And I've always found it interesting. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach her to assume authority over a man. I don't know why in this particular verse, Paul equivocates a little. He doesn't say God says, he does say, I do not permit. And I don't know if I should read it differently from that point. But Paul's understanding, let's be clear here, is his understanding is that men should be in authority. Let's not dance around that. And then he claims the same thing that Adam claimed is it's Eve's fault. Now, as I recall, when Adam claimed that in Genesis, it didn't fly very well with God. God heard what Adam said and still threw Adam out of the garden. So let's be clear that, yes, the woman was deceived first, 
then the man was deceived. And if the man had any authority, he gave it up. And there's a tendency for me to look at these verses and say, gosh, it's no wonder that Paul was a bachelor. What do we do with verses like this, where the context of the culture that we're writing into has changed so dramatically that it's difficult to pull out what is culture and what is command? That what is, for instance, I wear gold, my wife wears gold, and whether she has her hair up or down does not indicate to anybody that she is a loose woman. So I look at those things and say, expensive clothes, still culturally viable, particular styles, obviously different, sending a different message, and that modesty may have changed. So then I look at this next paragraph and I say, is this still relative? Is this cultural or is this command? And honestly, I don't know. And the church doesn't have one thought on this. I know within the Lutheran church, which is my tradition, the Missouri Senate Lutheran church continues to teach that a woman shouldn't have authority and looks back at these verses. And the church I'm in has two women pastors right now. So it's something that we're not clear on. And honestly, I think that's okay. But I know that that's going to cause some people discomfort. But are we clear that there is one God and there is one mediator who is Christ Jesus and that God desires that everybody come to the knowledge of truth? That is, I think, the most important message in this passage. And I think it's okay to wrestle with some of these details that we don't understand. With that, unfortunately, we're going to come to the end of this episode, and I don't know that I solved anything for you. But I would like you to think about the framework where we deal with these verses that we're not sure about or these verses that we may even disagree with is one is what's most important, two is what's most clear, and three is how does this affect others within my community? If you have any questions about this episode, as you may, feel free to leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com or send me an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris X. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.